Hi, so my name's Kat and I'll be just reading, uh, helping us um, read the Bible reading today. Uh, just a short one from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I have, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Do keep the conversation going after our gathering over coffee. Amanda took a leaf out of my diary as well by the sound of it and given the laughter I suspect many of yours too. Wasn't it great? I want to tell you the story about Jill, a story about Jill and Robert and Mark. This is Jill and her and her husband both started new jobs recently. They bought a house, they've been enjoying newly married life. But working late, travel, the pressure to build a career have meant that exhaustion and Netflix seem to be the majority of their time together in the evenings. They're deeply committed to Jesus. They love him to bits. They desire to have a godly marriage and make a home that's hospitable. But right now, the pressure of life makes them feel like ships in the night. They're busy and they're tired. And Jill wonders, how does the gospel give me any direction as I navigate this season I'm in? Or Robert, he's just left uni On campus, he led an ES small group. Involved in Jesus Week, he deeply convinced that Jesus is the best news anyone can hear. And his new career is exciting. He's been working towards it for years, and he wants to be faithful to Jesus in his workplace. But he's noticed a few things. First of all, the workplace is very different from uni. He's noticed that gossip is everywhere, whining about the finance department, the clients, even the wives from those on their team. And he's realized it's really, really tempting to indulge in it, partly because he just wants to fit in too and have something to talk about. And Robert now starts to grumble as part of his workday. What does it mean to follow Jesus at work when the pressure to complain and whine is so real? Or his mark. A new dad, thrilled to bits but terrified about what's in front of him. Him and his wife loved Jesus. They prayed about being godly parents. They've got the Jesus Storybook Bible and they've even read Paul Tripp's book on parenting. They're set. But he flings off the covers for the fourth time that night and the gospel seems far away from his mind and heart. Being godly at 2am is really, really tricky. Mark wonders, what does it mean to follow Jesus when I'm just so tired? What would you say to those three? Maybe you're here today and you're one of those three, or your story is all of them. But before we leave these three for a bit, and we'll we'll pick them up as we go along today, you need to know that all three of these people have found that great verse in Romans 8.28, 
comforting many, many, many times before. I'm sure you've heard it before. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. They have taken hold of that. They have internalized it. Jesus has spoken to them. Um, It's been wonderful for them. Except in the situation they face in the story we just heard, there is so much more than can be said and should be said than just Romans 8.28. We don't only have a sovereign God working all things for the good of those who love him, but our God's very keen to work and will in us so that the reality of our salvation can be outworked in the ongoing daily rhythm of life as a parent, at work, in your relationships, in your retirement, as you face sickness. See, the gospel of Jesus is a call to actively obey our God. And that's what we hear in Philippians today, isn't it? Those those famous verses in chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So we'll pick up Mark and Jill and Robert's story a little bit later on and see what they learnt about how to keep working out their salvation in their own situations from these verses. Now today these verses come right after the call to have the mind of Christ in chapter 2 verse 5, to think deeply of the incarnation of Jesus, his humiliation, his glorification in chapter 2 verse 6 to 11. They come after the reminder to put others above ourselves in 2 verse 3 and they all come from the call to live worthy of the gospel in chapter 1 verse 27. We've walked through each of that the last few weeks. And we see that link with the word therefore in chapter 2 verse 12, therefore. Which means the big idea that Jill, Robert, Mark, me and you need to understand today from this is that we all have been called to an entire life of working out what our salvation looks like in each and every situation. An entire life of working it out in every situation. What does it mean to live saved? So, will you join me in adopting that mindset? Will you join me in working out what it means to follow Jesus like Mark and Jill and Robert are figuring out as well? So we can break up our our passage into three uh, sections made up of the three three sentences that are found in, in the Greek and it's really helpful. Firstly, we'll see in verse 12 and 13 to work out our salvation. 14 to 16 to show off our salvation. And 17 to 18 to rejoice with those who make sacrifices for your salvation. So work out your salvation, show off your salvation, and rejoice with those who make sacrifices for your salvation. First part. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now that sounds really strange. Just put it out there. In fact, all three of these sections sound quite strange. What does it mean to work out your salvation? Well, let's see what it is and what it isn't. It is an imperative, it's a command, work out. But it doesn't mean work on, work for, or work to. You don't work to acquire it, as if God holds a big carrot on a stick out in front of your life and says, keep going until you get it. We don't work to maintain it either, as if God says, I've saved you, keep it up, it's all up to you now. Nor do we let go and let God either, as if God says, hold on for the right of your life, just have faith, that's all you need. Instead, We work from a position of already being saved. Think of it like going to the gym, if you've ever gone, and you strengthen muscles you already have when you go to the gym. 
muscles given to you in this example by Jesus. That's why he says, work out your salvation. It's a call to be obedient, but it comes because God's working in us. You see, God provides the desire so that you can outwork the salvation that Jesus has given you through his work, and that's the key. We work out what God is working and willing in us. And you do it from a posture of fear and trembling, which is a healthy dose of fear and respect. And it sounds strange, I've never heard a job description yet that says, wanted, fear and trembling a must. Yet, that's the posture that defines a Christian. And it comes from the joy of bowing our knee to Jesus in chapter 2, verse 9 to 11. It's a fear that makes us cautious, not the kind that makes us afraid. It's the fear of holding a newborn child or handling something very delicate. You approach with caution, you don't want to damage, disrespect or harm. And it's from that position that we recognize the supreme, all-powerful nature of God, totally aware of my sin and his grace, yet I approach him because Jesus makes me worthy and I'm fearful from that position. And that great holy God is pleased to work in you and me. You see, this is one of the strongest statements in the whole Bible of our responsibility to obey. But smushed right up against it, not even a breath, after comes one of the strongest statements about God's sovereignty over all of your obedience. It simply means that you and God both have the same goal in life now. You see, God gives the capacity to work out and to will to fulfill his good purpose. It means obedience isn't like watching Netflix, it's just something passive. It's like God has given a script for our life and he says, you're now a key player in my story. Go, live it, walk in faith. And as you go about your life, I'm acting in all your obedience too. Which means the ongoing work of God in your life is a great motivation to keep going, assured that God is working in you to fulfill his good purpose. But notice too, Paul says at the start, my dear friends, this means working out your salvation is not individualistic. It would seem very odd after saying, have the mind of Jesus in your relationships, put others above your own, oh, but work out your own salvation because it's all about you. It doesn't fit like that. It turns out Jesus has saved us to adopt this posture that sees God working in our community, in each of us, but together to fulfill his good purpose. Because salvation's a communal thing. It's to be shown off. It's to be worked out in real life ways with the community of God's people around us as that happens. And one way that's happened is found in verse 14, showing off your salvation. And this is where Amanda took us in the all ages. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And you'll shine among them like stars in the skies, you hold firmly to the word of life, and then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ, did not run or labor in vain. So second command here is in the word do, which means God's good purpose for you and me includes not grumbling or arguing. Part of our salvation, our salvation is being delivered from selfishness. And honestly, I find that very hard because grumbling is something I'm really good at, especially at home. Often I wake up with a grumbly sort of mindset set to default. And what happens when I'm grumbling is that arguments happen. 
What happens after I've argued is there's a deep hurt in the relationship, there's frustration, and then it turns out I'm actually not living as a a key part of my salvation, which is to be blameless and pure, because a grumpy loot cannot be pure, cannot be blameless, it just doesn't work. You know, this is made even more tricky today, because our culture does not forgive. Cancel culture offers no forgiveness. There's no trophies of redemption to look to around us to model forgiveness. Um, Nick Kurios, tennis player, he's like a modern version of Andre Agassi, if you remember Andre Agassi. And it seems that this bad boy image he has has gone too far this time. And our culture is probably going to not be kind regardless of the outcome and there'll be a a whole lot of cancelling him because of what's happening. And time will tell. But you see, there's no forgiveness or grace to anyone in our culture. The difference is, as a church, we do have a really good example here. And it's, it's not me, it's actually Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. As in, he gave up his status and privilege of God to serve us willingly. Hebrews tells us it was the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised its shame. Jesus forgives our offences before God, my grumpy heart, your grumpy heart, so he can work his grace in you to outwork it among others, you see? Moreover, that's why we hold on to the word of life, as Paul says. And as we do in the middle of grumbling, it turns out we're pretty missional as well. Think back to Robert. Being a light to those in his workplace means being aware of his own grumbling, bringing his heart before the humbling grace of God as he continues to hold on to the word of life in all those moments. And we see that because grumbling is contrasted to being a light, a missional light. And it might sound very strange, or oh, what is this, this light stuff that Paul talks about, that shining stars and everything? Well, it's the, only, it's the second reference in the whole Bible that ever talks about Christians being stars and lights. The first one comes from Daniel 12, verse 3, and it says this, and it's missional. Listen what Daniel 12, 3 says, Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Paul's confident that because of Jesus, the Philippians are the shining stars of Daniel 12, shining out to others, bringing salvation to many, leading people, as Daniel says, to righteousness. See, just as Jesus is a light to the nations, so they are now stars bringing the light of God to the lives of those in Philippi. That because of Jesus, their life would not be defined like that of a generation who grumbled in the wilderness, like in Numbers. But that by holding on to the word of life, the gospel of Jesus, they are able to keep on working out their salvation and shine like stars in a generation who live in a whining, self-pitying, grumpying world. So here's something to consider. Do you pray for change in your character, in your own attitude? Like, do you ever say, Lord, this morning I'm, I'm really grumpy, I'm irritated, help me to be kind. One thing that helps me is, um, Natasha tells me when I'm grumpy, but more so, she says, when you go for a run, you're not grumpy. And when I am grumpy, she says, you haven't run this week, have you, or for a few days? And I said, no, I haven't, you go for a run. Why? It's not that I'm away from my family, it's that when I run... I pray and I cry out to God as each kilometre passes. 
I bring my heart before God before the rush of life comes back at me in the morning. That's why I go in the morning. I meditate on God's word and hold on to it for dear life. I pray as a desperate dying man. I don't pray for lots of other things. I have markers that remind me of people in church when I walk past, I pray for you. But typically I'm praying, Lord, I'm so desperate and exhausted, not because I'm running, but just in life, I need you. I need your grace. Help me to be holy. Help me to be a good father because without you I've got nothing. And, and it's just this, this vomit of words coming out of me, desperately needing God's grace for that day. And unless I align my heart and mind like that, in the morning, I'm never in the right frame of mind, which means when I offend someone, which I do, when someone offends me, which you do, I don't have to hold on to that hurt, and I can be quick to forgive, you see? Think back to Mark waking up to his child at night and the three times I got up last night to my children. It's in those moments that we act what God wills, that God is willing so we can act, you see? God is working in us, which means that when we don't have good days and are grumpy, because of Jesus, you start over again right there and then. There's always grace. And it means we have a new avenue for joy as well. This is the last part. Rejoice with those who make sacrifices for your salvation. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Think back to when Paul said, to live is Christ, die is gain. Actually, it's better I stay here for, for your faith and, and joy and progress. That's the idea here. It's a strange thought, but it helps us see that one of the good purposes of which God is working in us as a community is to rejoice with those who are making sacrifices for your salvation. In fact, so confident, Paul says twice, be glad and rejoice with me. We live as a community. Our common object of love is Jesus, which means we celebrate the gospel wins along the way. After all, God is all about celebrating. And as a church... We perhaps don't get this right sometimes. In fact, God even legislated feasts and celebration days in Leviticus, a time to stop, remember, notice, be grateful for who God is, what he's done and was doing for them. Like the joy that you find when there's a long weekend coming up, you beauty, you say, off we go. God legislates that into the rhythm of his people's life too. Moreover, Jesus tells us there's great joy among the heavenly hosts when someone repents and comes to know God. There was a school camp this week and three people, three young people were saved. And I went to this camp, I didn't know this, and everyone was telling me as I got there, three people now know Jesus for the first time. How wonderful. There is great joy to hear and see God at work. You only need to look back to chapter 2, verse 9 to 11 to see how all creation celebrates the exalted Jesus and that Jesus celebrates and gives glory to God the Father too. Which means Paul is making known here the way he's doing, and what they're doing really matters, and we should celebrate it. To be alive is to celebrate our God and Savior. That's a part of it. To pour your life out for the gospel is something to celebrate. No one in this life is going to celebrate you for that. You're going to think you're nuts or bananas. You haven't got your head together. To see someone make progress in Jesus is a reason to celebrate. Again, no one's going to celebrate that you learnt something new about God's kindness, unless you also love Jesus, right? 
A friend of mine, um, I think I said this a while back, went to uni, uh, Christian, uh, loves Jesus in a church, served in the Sunday school, had some great friends that weren't Christian. One of the kids got saved at Sunday school and she went to uni Monday and she was so excited she wanted to tell someone and she, she went to tell her friend, who wasn't a Christian then, oh, I'm so, I'm so excited because so-and-so, whoever it was, um, put their trust in Jesus. And she started telling the story and stopped and went, oh, they don't care. They, they have no concept of the joy that that brings. And her witness uh, helped because many years later, um, he actually became a pastor and he's living in Canada, pastoring a church. But you see that joy that we have of seeing God at work and celebrating the wins because there's a million reasons to be grumpy and argue. But the gospel opens up a whole new community who are a source of joy and celebration. Think back to Jill. The rhythm of her work life has drowned out the joy of seeing Jesus at work in her life at work in her husband's life, at work in her church family. It's sometimes not a new job that we need, but perspective and eyes to see and celebrate what God's up to all around us. And that's what it means to work out your salvation. So Paul's reminding the Philippians, and me and you, our entire life is one of obedience to God as he works his will in us. It means living as those who stand out as lights, marked with cheerful celebration. So, Here's what Robert, Jill, and Mark have learned as they read Philippians 2, 12 to 18 this week. Rob decided that working out his salvation means on the way to work, he now prays, Lord, I feel grumpy. I'm so tempted to get into an argument in the email exchange that's sitting there because I know other people haven't done what they should and passive-aggressive emails is my specialty. But I know that my salvation in Jesus has given me the ability to be honest about my own faults, to find grace along the way. So help me be a light by not being grumpy. Or Jill, her and her husband both read Philippians 2 this week and they chatted over as they got ready for work in the morning. And it struck Jill that their salvation speaks into their marriage and busy life. Because she can actually see God at work in them through this dry season to bring an awareness of God's character and presence and joy that they have, and she just didn't know. Not only that, but Jill started to see ways she could celebrate what God was doing among those in her church family. For one thing, it meant she stayed around long enough that Sunday to actually chat to people instead of rushing off to squeeze in one more email before Monday morning. And at the moment, it's hard, and she's being pushed on either, either side, but holding firmly to the word of life knowing that when she gets grumpy and argumentative, Jesus gives grace to start any day over again and to see the winds along the way and gives her permission to celebrate. And then Mark, he's tired. That's not going away for a while. But his salvation means he can rejoice in those moments of sacrifice because it's an opportunity to show his kids the love and beauty of Jesus. Because being tired has been fruitful. It's meant he's been able to learn how to obey God in a whole new way And as he takes another tired step to the bedroom, he prays for his child. And even if he's poured out like a slow, tired drink offering, he's glad that in front of him is a precious life that he wants to model Jesus to. And he celebrates that. So what about you? Are you Rob, Mark, or Jill this morning? Or I'm sure you've got your own story. But what does it look like for you to work out your salvation in your little neck of the woods 
with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God working in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. And how will you celebrate the wins along the way? So why not pray about it in the next song? Why not, why not stand before God and say, Lord, I am so grumpy and out of sorts. You need to know that. And God, you already do know it, so I'm telling you that anyway. Because you're going to work in me. And then give me the joy and help me to see what you're doing in my life and the lives of those around me. And then over coffee, would you ask someone, how will you work out your salvation this week? Because here's what I'm thinking. And I guarantee that grumpy, frustration, argumentative will be at the top of most of our lists. But hey, God's full of grace and forgiveness, so let's lean into that. Let me pray, and as I pray, Ben, if you can come up and lead us into the next song, that'd be great. A great God, you are holy and righteous. And for the joy set before Jesus, you endured the cross, despised in the shame, and you're seated at the right hand of God. And all creation <laughs> cries out to you, holy, holy, holy. And we want to give you glory. And part of that is obeying you faithfully. So change our hearts and minds with that perspective. Forgive us for being grumpy, frustrated, argumentative, whining, but instead to celebrate what you're doing. Give us eyes to see and grace to live faithfully. Amen.